Business Executives for National Security welcomes you to Five Questions with the CEO, where Ben's CEO, General Joe Vitale, former commander of all United States Special Forces and enforces in 21 countries in the Middle East and Asia, interviews top business leaders, focusing on their stories, strategies, and real-world experiences. Here, we want to know why they are passionate about sharing their talents and insights to assist senior leaders in the national security enterprise as they solve some of our nation's most pressing challenges, and why they are part of a growing number of executives who understand that national security is everyone's business. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Five Questions with the CEO. Uh, joining us today is Boston member Jeremy Hitchcock. Uh, Jeremy is a co-founder and partner at New North Ventures, an early-stage venture fund advancing innovation in the national interest, and he's also a co-founder and executive chairperson of uh, Wi-Fi management and IoT security startup, uh, Minim. Uh, while living in his dorm room at the Worcester Polytechnic Institute, WPI, Jeremy co-founded Dyn, an internet data company acquired by Oracle in 2017. Uh, Jeremy is adept at leading various technological development teams to solve security problems at the national, commercial, and consumer levels. In addition to his many talents and successes, he and his wife Liz run a cozy, independent uh, bookstore in partner with Manchester Moves, improving biking and walkability in the greater Manchester, uh, New Hampshire area. So, Jeremy, welcome. We're glad to have you today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Trent. I'm excited to be here. Good, good. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, you've got such a really interesting story. I mean, it's just so extraordinary. I mean, being at WPI, studying chemistry as a sophomore, and then you team up with a, a couple of other students to work on a remote access project. Uh, of course, this project later becomes known as Dyne. It was a wildly successful tech upstart. So how do you go from studying chemistry at WPI to creating Dyne in your uh, in your dorm room? You'd barely left high school, I think. I think you were you certainly were a sophomore there. So, how in the world did you manage to pull all that up? What and what inspired you to to launch that? Yeah, it's 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 a fun journey. And as you get older, every year you hear a, a bio of yourself and you think, did I actually do all that? I mean, gosh, uh, it is it is somewhat surreal looking back at it. Uh, but you know, the general premise was I was hanging out with a bunch of friends and we were uh, we were, we were sitting next to a printer that a computer that we were in a lab room wouldn't talk to it and said, Hey, geez, how do we hook this up? How do we make this work? And so, uh, it was winter time and, and the, the, the basic premise was cold out and the computer that we were using was able to print to something that was a couple buildings down. So you know, obviously it would have been five, 10 minutes, just go and get the, the silly lab paper and turn it in. But no, 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 we, we were gonna spend hours on, on coming up with a solution so we could actually get the computer and the printer that was next to it actually talk to each other. And so through that, Learned a lot about internet architecture and infrastructure and how they worked. Got this thing working after a period of time, and and that project uh, became a, an open source project. And you know, mother, or necessity is the mother of invention. Many times, and that was that was that was pretty much the genesis of, of the actual project. After a few months, a bunch of other people were starting to use this thing, and it was the days of high speed internet at home. We were going to shut this thing down. It was run on a friend's computer. He wanted to use it for gaming or whatever else. So we put out this moral challenge to our, our, our customer base. Uh, at this point, we had about uh, 25,000 users who were, were using this, and they're not paying for it, just something free that was online. That was kind of the, the, the premise. There was no software as a service, no 
no, no, no fully developed internet like we have, but we said if, if on average each of you send in a dollar, we'll, we'll run this as a, as a real product and turn this into a company. And, and, uh, after a, a month, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And so after a month, $40,000 shows up and, and that began the start of a 15 year journey thinking that we were going to be off the hook. We we're going to be able to walk away, but that, that wasn't the case. And, and, uh, it was certainly been a fun time and completely unexpected. It was not something I went to school thinking, Hey, let's go start an internet company. It just organically happened by again, that, that, that sitting in a lab room trying to get something to print. That's amazing. Just ever up trying to get a printer to work on something that starts out of something like that's really, really extraordinary story. You know, in the, in the profession that I come from the military, we talk a lot about courage. And one of the things that I've observed in my time since being here at Benz and getting to know, you know, executives like you and of course the other 400 or so that we have across the country is that you know uh, courage comes in a lot of forms and it takes a tremendous amount of courage uh, to do what you did what what do you tell young people um, about turning their great ideas and aspirations into action the simple thing is you got to start today I mean everybody thinks oh you have this grand plan you lay it out you spend months and months and, and, and you and, and you actually execute and then after that uh, something happens and it, it's it's a much more organic process because building a company is is really a combination of, of skill timing luck and the worst that happens is you go get a real job that was the thing I would always tell people who were, were, were interviewing about coming to work for a startup that small scrappy thing run by by 20 year olds uh, don't work for us go get a real job if something works out uh, and and the thing I would always say is that there's there's really no school for CEOs. You you can pick up uh, skills, abilities, but you really have to deploy them. And the best way to do that is by actual by by actually doing by by the actions. And so we we were thoughtful, uh, like I think a lot of young aspiring leaders are, to surround yourself with good people, smart people. They encouraged us to keep pushing in, in different areas, and we got advice from all all sides. Uh, go left, go right, and you have to chart your own direction. But it, it gave us a, a view on where, where we could go. And ultimately, we took part of the internet, a set of protocols and systems that no one really cared about in, in, a, in a real strategic way. Timing of, of the emerging cloud uh, was, was very fortunate for us. And, and so we were able to, to, to build a company that was pretty interesting. And, and so I always think how to be able to bring that information back into a classroom, group of students, we would bring in interns, part-time people from, from, from school and college, and that helped keep us fresh. And, and so as much as they got to learn from us, I, I see it now uh, more and more as a way to keep myself current, to understand what's going on at the bleeding edge. Uh, and so while it is, it does take a little bit of courage, there were some lonely times about running a company and, and uh, making tough decisions about, and really it's always about people. So it's about what's, what's in the best interest of the organization, what's in the best interest of the team, that viewpoint of what, what to do for customers, I think, was one of our guiding things that really helped us push ahead and, and figure out like what was the best way for Dyn to chart its course. I just want to pick up on kind of the discussion on on young people a little bit. I mean, obviously, I know you stay in contact with a lot of folks like that. What do you grade the level of uh, innovative spirit in, in the country right now? I mean, do these young people think different now than they did uh, when you were coming up, is it more pervasive? Is it less pervasive? What what's your what's the general trend from you know your perspective on that? I think it's 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 as vibrant as ever. I mean, I I watch people coming out of school versus my kids and just how they interface tech, with technology. And 
Like I watched my daughter, I mean, she, she knows how to type on a keyboard, but she's using text to or speech to text all the time instead of typing. And, and, and she just thinks about it differently. And, and I watch students who are coming out and, and they're, they're just so literate. And, and it used to be that you had to train yourself to be a specialist in a lot of fields, whether it was mechanical or engineering or chemistry or computer science. And people are coming out as polymaths more and more just because the world is starting to get these interdisciplinary world. So I, I, it's, it's a really cool time. I mean, there's a whole conversation around AI and, and, and bringing different knowledge sets together. So it, it's a great time to build. It's a great time to start companies. There's a lot of just, I think, goodness in, in that innovative spirit and, and how to deploy some of those new, new capabilities into greatness. It's, uh, it's interesting to just say that and talk about your daughter. One of the discussions my wife, Michelle and I always have is when we, when we need information and, uh, you know, I will pick up my phone and I'll start typing into Google. And what she'll do is she'll tap her thing and she'll talk to Siri, and uh, and uh, you know again just a different a different way of thinking about uh, about this. And so, um, anyways, so I'll, I'll, now I'm going to tell her there's actually some some scientific, innovative uh, background in her approach to this. She'll be very proud of that. All the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you finished college and you worked your tail off for ten years. Um, secured your first round of funding for thirty eight million bucks in. Uh, in 2012, and by 2017, you'd been acquired by Oracle, reportedly for a lot of money, north of 600 million bucks. It sounds like the dream of any young entrepreneur, but I'm sure it wasn't without some pretty hard choices and maybe a few failures or setbacks uh, along the way. Like any of us, you know, we we learn more from our failures than our successes. And again, you know, a guy that grew up in the in the special operations community, I mean, that whole organization that we that we built grew out of a you know a failed operation in Iran back in 1980 I mean that really you know that failure on a national scale a strategic scale really forced us to take a hard look at ourselves and develop something that was much more resilient or robust I, w- I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your experiences in that regard and your philosophy on how failure can be a powerful tool for for growth yeah because everyone reads about success in, in business and, and they like to celebrate the good parts. And the opposite of that, I think, is, has taken place where we only write about the salacious bits, the the somebody having a bad day and just it being an embarrassment. But we haven't, I think, figured out how to channel our energy into places where we can use them as as those teachable moments, those learning lessons that are that are help bring us together and and be able to say, how can we avoid mistakes like this? But do so in a place where there, there's there's a level of safety and comfort. Uh, I think about it a lot in in a company started with with, with four co-founders, and throughout the journey, uh, there were there was one there was one idiot left on the island. There was me left, and uh, in in each of those cases, uh, I think back, and 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 one of them certainly was was not a positive experience. One was neutral, and another one was was real positive, and that's the part of, of, of building a company that's, that's so team dependent and it's, and it's, and it's applicable, I think, across every industry, every walk of life, as you're thinking about how to work better with others. And that, that set of learning lessons from, from each of those of basically corporate divorce of how to go through and conduct yourself as a good human to think about what's, what's right for the individuals. Uh, and, and as time went on and, and got to practice it a couple of times, you know, got better at it. But I, I do remember reading a book uh, that Clay Christensen wrote, and he's obviously most famous for disruptive innovation and the notion of how how industries compete and disrupt themselves with the, the, the low, cheap thing. 
But he also wrote this book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And for me, it was just a real set of grounding principles about how um, Clay Christensen, he was a Harvard Business School, both professor and, and student. And when he went back to his, his reunion, he noticed that there were so many people, there were these titans of industry and a lot of them would come back and they were miserable. And said, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would people want to be miserable and not happy? And they were maybe estranged from their family or they, they weren't good or ethical people. And, and he actually said, you know, if you, if you think about setting a strategy for how you conduct yourself and think about happiness, ethics, but being also a good professional, that, then you can really be able to, to hit all of those. And, and so that was, for me, a, a way of grounding of not of profession, not completely uh, consuming myself, uh, and, and also just thinking about building something that's bigger than you. And so when, when you have that mindset of separating kind of co-founder, which has very much that central identity of the company, but when you separate yourself from that identity, a lot of things become more clear. And so it's painful to do that because sometimes you'll do stuff that's in the interest of the company that's, that's, that's better and grander than you. Uh, but a lot of times you just have to swallow those pills, move on and, and, uh, and know that you're doing something for the greater good. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. I, I appreciate you talking about uh, about that book. I love to check it out. And I think that's a really important point. I think it's a, when a lot of things you know I learned in my career is that a lot of subordinate leaders are were watching me to see how I grounded myself, how I how I added balance to my life, how I balanced the values associated with my family life, personal life, with the values that went along with uh, being, a, being a professional military officer. And oftentimes those are those are in competition with each other. And so how you balance that is really very, very critical. So, you know, again, you, had, you went through some tough times. You, you alluded to some of these things here, the, the massive leak of classified materials associated with WikiLeaks that had an impact on you, a major DDoS attack here uh, impacted you very, very significantly. What did you learn about risk reward and how you how you kind of balance those things going forward? For us, we we really thought about who were our stakeholders, and and you mentioned the who are the leaders that are watching you, and and we thought a lot about where we came from. We were an open source project, and we thought a lot about the community in which had both supported us and 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 which we were dependent and who depended on us. And so we thought of ourselves as how how could we build a stable and, and, and important part of the internet, but but also representing that we were we're only a portion. We're not we're not supposed to be the the, the end all be all. In 2010, we we had a customer that was WikiLeaks, and and obviously that's a that's a pretty famous story about what happens around that time. They published a bunch of content. They get start getting a bunch of flack for, and and there can be debates about transparency and 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 the like. But you know, they 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 did stuff that irritated some people, and and also they could have been advancing their mission perhaps in a in a slightly different way. And so they started getting a bunch of attacks against them. And so we thought long and hard about what was the right way. Is it a free speech issue? Is it a you know, some sort of technical contribution that they're trying to make. And and we did spend some time with the WikiLeaks tech team. Said, hey, like, if you want to go do what you're trying to do, here's a couple ideas. And, and I think um, the motives weren't quite in line in what they were trying to do. And so it became really easy from a customer standpoint of saying they were not a good customer for us. And so I remember pretty clearly a evening in December, 10 p.m., I was in, in my living room with a couple of our, our team and pushed the button. And 17 minutes later, it's, it's referenced on Huffington post and is attributed to us. And, you know, next day we're on the, we're on the, the news. And, and again, like a lot of, a lot of organizations, I think this is where, how you ground yourself is so important. Could have, we could have used that event as a big publicity thing, but 
really we were trying to do right by our customers in the end the calculus for us was they were endangering us as and our livelihood and our customers livelihood because they couldn't conduct business because they kept getting these attacks that um that affected us all so that that became a real simple thing and 2016 and throughout the six years between them tons of denial serps attacks and tons of attacks but 2016 was definitely a high watermark uh that october was uh that day in october was not a good day I was going to speak at a conference and uh around seven o'clock my phone just melts with pager notifications and i could see from the system notifications that like th those were messages that weren't ever supposed to be sent like the thing is broken was basically what what the what the message was and made a couple calls and and knew that in that moment, it was really a question of how we had prepared ourselves. Because in those moments where it, it's, you're, you're just trying to mitigate a crisis, it's, you can, you have to conduct yourself in the way you practiced. And, and fortunately, I think we had, we had done a lot in preparing our teams to, to be successful. And so I did my thing at whatever conference, kind of checked in afterwards and headed over to the company. And, and, um, you know, in, in the end, I think the way in which style matters and how you conduct yourself as a business and team. And so throughout the day, we saw our customers, some of our competitors even, uh, basically ordering uh, delivery food for our tech teams because they knew that they were glued to their keyboards trying to trying to uh, fix things. And and uh, it, it was definitely uh, definitely something where, where style matters and, and, and going kind of too close to the, to the sun really can get you burned. And so I, I there were a couple times where we skated too close and, 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 and certainly knew that, uh, we could, we could improve on those. But I think in those two scenarios, I think we, we did a nice job in conducting ourselves. I'd love to talk a little bit about, uh, new North ventures and, and kind of what you're doing now. I should acknowledge, uh, I know recently you lost one of your co-founders, Brett Davis, uh, a guy who I've had an opportunity to, to meet and, and think uh, quite a bit of a former CIA officer named EOD diver. Uh, so we're, we're certainly sad for for his loss. But talk with us a little bit about what you're doing with this new venture. Yeah, and and Brett was a special dude, and and the reason why I'm doing venture at the intersection of of national security innovation is is really because of our collaboration. Uh, we were both at a phase trying to think about what was next. He was leaving the CIA, trying to think about how he could do some of the work he had done commercial and and activities that, that that benefited the national security apparatus and i wanted to do something that was more mission oriented uh we met through somebody at the navy seal foundation a defense contractor was thinking about building a venture studio and so we were looking at rummaging around there and after after a bit uh two of us kind of looked at each other and said you know what let's just do this ourselves on our own and and, and then we were off and running Yo, get started and and just it, we had such a fun time because we were, I mean, just different in the sense of our, our career and upbringing. We used to say that we were exotic zoo animals, uh, a tech person going looking at a spook and I have no idea what to think of him and, and, and me the same way. I'm like, well, that's just tech entrepreneur. And like, I've worn ties more frequently than I ever have in my, my life. And it's really driven us to the place where we invest in these bold ideas, these consequential leaders, these pioneering technologists to advance uh, national security. And 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 at least for for me personally, in investing in companies at early stage, pushing on this mission, I got to spend so much time on internet standards and seeing what goodness can come from government, commercial, industry working together to go build these transformational platforms like the internet, like GPS, like space. And and continue to push on those, and so that's what we're we're excited to keep going on, and and 
we're doing it in Brett's name and have a partner, uh, Stephanie Ballistri, who, who uh, worked with Brett for a bit, and she's coming on as a general partner. So we're, we're excited to keep going on the mission. So I, I'm sure we could talk all day here on a variety of things, but we're kind of getting to the end of the so-called five questions here. So let me ask you one more question. Um, wh wh why did you join Benz? Why Benz? I'm a year in, and it's it's been such an exciting time. Uh, I think it was really to keep pushing on the ways in which government and industry can work together. And, I, and I've heard many times the the Ben's mission taking industry best practices to government, but I think it's a two-way street. I think there's there's plenty for industry to learn from government. Uh, I think in, in AI and technology innovation, humans and how people think around applying that attribution, ethics and decision-making, uh, that's, that's not present quite enough in, 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 uh, in how technology and, and tech community works, but there's so many things to continue to push on innovation, advancing human capital or workforce cultural things. And, and also a lot of our problems are global resiliency. And I think that the, the, there's a lot to learn from, from both, uh, for both walks working together. So excited to be here and be a part of it. That's great. Well, we're, we're so glad, to, so glad to have you on, uh, on board and you're kind of a triple threat here because you're you're tight you're hitting on all the big pillars here i mean you're traveling uh you're doing engagements we had you as a panelist down in uh down in naples last fall and uh, we got you doing project work and I'm, I'm really excited about the uh about what you're what you're helping us with on uh wargaming the uh, wargaming of the future here uh 21st century wargaming uh, i think it's just it's a phenomenal stuff and in introducing some advanced technologies, ideas into this, I think is exactly the kind of things we need. So we're very, very, very glad to have you. And I really appreciate you joining us today for, for our podcast. So thanks, uh, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, General. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks, everybody, for, uh, for joining us for another episode of Five Questions with the CEO. Today, we've been talking with Jeremy Hitchcock, a Boston member uh, and the co-founder and partner at New North Ventures. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening, and we look forward to uh, coming to you again.